From the Cincinnati Daily Commercial, I'm Murray Halstead, and this is a special edition of the Queen City Bulletin for April 30th, 1861. On today's show, the renowned aeronaut, Professor Thaddeus Lowe, will join us to recount his recent aerial trip from Cincinnati to Columbia, South Carolina. But first, a word from today's sponsor, Radway's Renovating Resolvent. Radway's Renovating Resolvent searches the diseased blood and purges it of inflammatory and corrupting particles. For chronic diseases supposed to be infixed in the flesh and tissues past all help, it is the one sole invariable cure. There is not a flesh or skin disorder that can resist this mighty disinfectant. Ulcerated sore throat, bronchitis, turbicles on the lungs, all forms of ulceration, inward or outward, succumb before its antiseptic and anti-inflammatory action. Radway's remedies are sold by druggists everywhere. And now, part one of Professor Lowe's incredible adventure. By request of many people in all sections of the country that I have traveled, I take this opportunity to give through your columns a statement of the result of my late aerial voyage from this city to the Atlantic coast, which was undertaken for the purpose of giving more information of the air currents and to test my improvement in constructing air vessels. My preparations for such a voyage were all completed on Friday the 19th, and as I was to use a comparatively small machine, I had determined to make the voyage alone, and to prevent landing at night, I concluded to sail at an early hour in the morning, thereby having the whole day before me. Accordingly, at twelve o'clock at night, the inflation was commenced. At that hour there was hardly a breath of air stirring, and the moon and stars shone brightly. Everything being arranged in perfect order, the inflation was not interrupted, and at three o'clock a.m. the work was completed. About three-quarters of an hour more passed in making attachments, arranging the cordage, and adjusting the various instruments, consisting of a fine mercurial barometer for measuring altitudes, a newly invented instrument called the altimeter for getting latitude and longitude, an excellent telescope and thermometer, and a patent double polar line needle compass. These being properly adjusted, and having a large quantity of provisions, hot coffee, fruit, etc., with a number of warm blankets contributed by Delland and Gossage for the purpose of keeping warm in the frosty regions above, and also having on board a large number of the morning papers just from the press, and a good supply of ballast and various other things too numerous to mention, the new airship, for the first time, was allowed to rise slowly from the earth to the length of the rope. Seeing that everything was right, I bid goodbye to the friends who had so generously denied themselves the rest to assist me, and in another moment all connection with earth was cut off, and the Enterprise, with her freight, was gracefully mounting upwards and to the northwest. A scene now presented itself which I had never before had the pleasure of witnessing, and which any description that I could give would fail to do it justice. I allude now to the appearance of the city with her thousands of street lights glittering in the pitchy darkness below. The moon had set, and at an elevation of two thousand feet, not a thing was visible below, except the lights of the city, each one throwing its rays apparently about ten feet around. As I rose higher, the squares which at first appeared of the usual size, and gave the idea of an immense checkerboard, became smaller and smaller until they actually appeared like the stars above, the darkness preventing any object from being visible. It seemed as though I were floating among the heavenly bodies, always still as death itself. And as I was silently floating over a hundred and seventy thousand sleeping souls, I could not but hope for a time to be near at hand, when each and every one could enjoy the same privilege. 
In ten minutes, I had attained an altitude of 5,000 feet. Here, I felt a slight wave of the atmosphere, and soon my course changed to the north, still ascending. And when, at an altitude of 7,000 feet, changed to the east and moving very slow. Here, the atmosphere was quite frosty, and the thermometer fell from 45 degrees to 15 degrees above zero. I concluded to remain at this altitude until the rising sun should warm and dry the dew from the balloon, which alone would be sufficient to send me up several thousand feet more. At four o'clock in fifteen minutes, a gray light appeared in the east, and the city of Cincinnati, with her tiny light still glittering through the foggy mist, was fast fading away on the west-northwest horizon, showing that my course was a little south of east. I will here mention that I have always found that the current state of the atmosphere follow the line of temperature. Many years' observation on the surface of the Earth in different latitudes also proved this fact. Therefore, as there had been a strong cold wind from the north for several days, I was satisfied that the current was more or less affected to an elevation of 12,000 feet, which was as high as I could go and remain steadily with the sized vessel I had. I therefore concluded that the current I was then in would strike the coast about three degrees south of my starting point, and then after reaching the warm ocean would bear north again, thus forming one great bend across the ocean and would strike the coast of France, which is about the same temperature. At a quarter to five o'clock, the light of day was spread over the surface of the earth, and the beautiful farms along the Ohio Valley presented a splendid appearance. The stars had disappeared one by one, and the day was fast approaching to take their place. I was now over the Ohio River and on the Kentucky side, and at an elevation of 8,000 feet, the thermometer standing at 13 degrees, at 5 o'clock and 5 minutes, the sun shone its golden rim above the horizon, and soon shone full upon the huge transparent globe overhead. In ten minutes, more of the rays of the sun appeared upon the tops of the hills and tall trees, making long shadows on the earth. I now looked in the direction of Cincinnati, but it had entirely disappeared. On looking to the southwestern horizon, I could discern a small village, which has since proved to be Falmouth, Kentucky. The rays of the sun upon the balloon caused me to gradually ascend, and at seven o'clock the barometer indicated an elevation of 11,000 feet. At this height, my appetite being rather sharp, I partook of a hearty breakfast, after which I took my glass for the purpose of hunting out objects of interest, and by the aid of which I could discern high peaks of mountains on the eastern horizon, also to the northeast and southeast. At a quarter past eight o'clock, I was passing over a hilly section of country and fast approaching tall mountains. I was now south of the Ohio River, and could not discern it even with a telescope. I now concluded that the course I was then pursuing would take me to the Chesapeake Bay, considerably south of Washington, as that city was due east from Cincinnati, and I was moving east-northeast. At nine o'clock I was passing over the northern range of the Cumberland Mountains, and here my course changed to the southeast. Below, and for miles around, was a barren wilderness. But at some distance ahead, I could see, occasionally, a farmhouse. Being desirous of ascertaining with more certainty my exact whereabouts, I let off gas and gradually descended to within a short distance of the earth with the hope of seeing someone to inquire of. As I passed along here, I found a strong current blowing directly to the south. Seeing some persons at work in the field, I descended near to them and asked, What state is this? The men, without answering, looked in all directions but upwards, and fearing that I should miss them, I again sang out at the top of my voice when the reply came. Virginia. 
they still looking to a cluster of bushes from whence probably came the echo. I then asked what county and threw out some sand to clear the tops of some tall trees. This struck the ground with a spatter and caused them to look up, and instead of answering the question, a yell of horror arose from them, and if the fleetness of foot is any indication of fright, they must have been terribly frightened. I was now mounting upwards, but still in the influence of the southerly current, and by the course I had taken, I concluded I was near the township of Jeffersonville. At fifteen minutes to ten o'clock, I crossed the Alleghenies, going but a trifle east of south. About seventy-five miles ahead was the Blue Ridge Mountains, extending both north and south as far as the eye could see, and seemed to obstruct my passage in that direction. When about halfway between these two ranges of mountains, I found a very deep current moving south. Here I could have discharged ballast and arisen out of the influence of the mountains, but I knew the country was rough and there was little communication for hundreds of miles, and to ascend high enough to reach the eastern current would require nearly all the ballast I had, and by doing so, I might be obliged to descend on the other side far from a railroad, so... I thought it best to sail down the side of the mountains and come out over the lowest points. Looking to the south-southeast, I could distinctly see the highest peaks of the Blue Ridge Mountains, which I knew divided North and South Carolina. And that concludes part one of Professor Lowe's Odyssey in the Air. Tune in tomorrow for the exciting conclusion. For the Cincinnati Daily Commercial, I'm Murray Halstead, and this has been your Queen City Bulletin.